Anthony Shadid is the Beirut bureau chief for the New York Times. He's been covering the changes that are sweeping the Middle East, and he sees a shift in Israel's position in the region. Israel seems like the odd man out in the region right now. Uh, Its relationship with Egypt is very strained. Uh, Its relationship with Turkey uh, has almost collapsed. And these are two countries that Israel at least had a nominal, uh, I don't want to say an alliance with, but could count both countries as, uh, as neighbors with good relations, if not friends. I think what we're seeing right now in Turkey is the emergence of Turkey or the the desire on the part of Turkish leaders to become a regional superpower, uh, someone just as strong as Iran, perhaps stronger than Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Uh, but we're also, I think, seeing, you know, in the way Turkish officials describe it in, in a lot of respects is Turkey's coming of age, that Prime Minister Erdogan's visit to Egypt is part of that. There is a sense among some Turkish officials that you could perhaps have, I don't want to say an alliance necessarily between Turkey and Egypt, but a, a meeting of minds Turkey between those Egypt. two countries. That's w- right. W- and presumably, I mean, the United States has, has long burnished its relationship with Turkey. Is Turkey now working in the mind of the State Department for or against U.S. interests? Well, you know, from what I understand from American officials, they think Turkey may be overreaching. And there is a question there. Does Turkey have the diplomatic capacity uh, to exert its power through the region in the way it wants. And I think that's a, that's a big question right now. It does have that economic power. Its, its economy is booming, and it's one of the, the great legacies of Prime Minister Erdogan is that economic growth over the past decade in Turkey. I think we have to remember in Turkish-American relations, though, is that there is a strategic relationship there that has not been touched. There's still cooperation going on in northern Iraq. There's a missile defense uh, program that, that that's going on ahead. You don't see any signs of cracks in that kind of... the the infrastructure of that relationship, though I think there is, you know, there may be differences of opinion between Turkish and American officials over Syria, over Israel, over uh, over the region, you know, in its broader sense. Okay, let's talk about Syria then. According to the United Nations, 2,600 people have died during the past six months of conflict there in Syria. Uh, you, you have been inside Syria. I wonder if you can tell us how organized you believe the anti-government activists are there and why so far, Syria is different in that President Bashar al-Assad has been able to stick it out. What, what struck me so much, and I have to say, I did not have this feeling in other places. Maybe Bahrain, you can make this same. You can make a comparison with. But when you talk to these youth in places like Homs and Hama, you understand that they've, in their mind at least, they've reached a point of no return. There's kind of a famous anecdote in Islamic history when the general crosses, when they're going to Andalusia. And they cross Gibraltar, and he burns the ships behind them, and he says, "You only you know, there's only one way to go, and that's forward. And the youth I met in Holmes were very aware of that story. There is a sense of that. We can only go forward. There's no going back at this point. Too many people have died. Uh, if we did go back, we would obviously be killed or, or imprisoned. There's a sense it's going to take a long time, but that they're eventually going to get where they want to go. But that sounds kind of like what, what, what the uh, revolutionaries, the younger people in Egypt said as well. But there was change in Egypt. There was. I and mean, I felt, when, you know, when I covered the, the, the revolution in Egypt, there felt to be also a momentum. It would change day by day. Some days would feel a little bit you know, grimmer than other days. But there was a kind of a relentlessness to the revolution. Crowds in Tahrir Square were building. There were dynamics underway inside the regime that were very visible to everybody. The Americans were intervening. It felt like it was a... You know, almost like a, a script in some ways. I mean, it was a it was a set. You know, you could read it from beginning to end. Syria is anything but that. Syria feels like it go on years. It may go on months. It may go on weeks. I mean, who knows what will happen there? But this feels like a long slog. I what's, think to a lot of people. What's the tipping point when a, a dictator has to step down, has to leave? That's a great question. I think if we've learned anything is that they they do need to have an escape plan. I mean, Gaddafi didn't have that. Mubarak didn't have that. He's on jail now, and you know, in, in a cage in a courtroom. Ben Ali is being from Tunisia is being charged in absentia. 
I guess the one lesson we've learned so far is that you need to have a way out, uh, and you need to have that way out sooner rather than later. I think with when we look at Syria, it's it's much tougher because it is a much more, I think in some ways it's a more complicated society, but I also think the state still retains in a remarkable resilience. I don't think the protests in and of themselves can overthrow Bashar al-Assad, but there are other dynamics at work in the country, uh, economic tension, uh, exhaustion of the security forces, isolation, even, an, I don't want to say abandonment, but tension between Syrian uh, countries like Iran and Turkey. There are a lot of dynamics at work that could pose very specific and very dire challenges to the government. It's not there yet, though. Keep doing your good work. Anthony Shadid, foreign correspondent for The New York Times. Thanks. My pleasure.